Years ago, I was in Kentucky with a group of people who were touring one of the big caves down there, and it was really amazing. The, the whole group kind of walked uh, inside, and we were in these huge caverns, and our guide took us underground, and I remember there was a stream that was sort of flowing next to us. It was really, really beautiful, and we got to a certain point, and he said, well, now we're going to go back up, and he said, we're going to take a different route, and he said, I, I want to warn you that it's going to get a little bit narrower and um, that was really an understatement I was about to discover. We, we started moving, and, and pretty soon it just started narrowing and narrowing, and, and we were walking single file, you know, beneath this mountain. And pretty soon, you know, I had to kind of duck my head a little bit and, and then hunch down and walk, and I remember it hurt my back. And finally, we came to this narrow, narrow tunnel that we had to climb up in single file on our, on our knees, and there was almost so little space that, that you almost couldn't, you know, crawl fully extended. You, you almost had to kind of half crawl, half slither. And I remember feeling like I was going to go crazy. Um, it was dark. It was damp. It, there was hardly any oxygen. And the only thing that I could see was the rear end of the person that was <laughs> in front of me. And then the worst thing was that all of a sudden they stopped. There, there was some holdup at some point in the cave. And so I, I was stuck in this cave, and, and I felt like I was buried alive. It seemed like I was in there for uh, hours. I'm sure it was just a few minutes but finally, we started moving again, and I was really surprised because what that tunnel did is it spilled us out on the side of the mountain. And all of a sudden, we were there. We kind of jumped down onto this wooded path, and we were out in the sunshine and in the fresh air, and I felt like I was, I was alive again. I was free, and I remember thinking, I am never going back in there again. You couldn't pay me to go back in there. Well, that's a little bit of what this passage is like that we're going to look at this morning. It's about moving from the narrow, claustrophobic confines of the law to wide open, fresh air that is grace. And, and what Paul's going to do here is he's going to make the point that once you've tasted freedom, once you have breathed in the oxygen of grace, he's going to say, why would you ever want to go back again? Now, the passage that we're going to take a look at breaks down really nicely into three different parts. Those parts are all divided by paragraphs. The first paragraph, which is actually only one sentence, is kind of an overview, which I'll explain in just a minute. The second paragraph is mostly a plea that Paul is going to make to this church that he's writing a, a letter to, 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 to uh, plead with them, stay in grace, don't go back to law. And I'll explain what that means in, in a few minutes. And then finally, the third paragraph is a warning that he's going to give to the people who have been misleading them, some leaders in, in the church. Uh, I'm going to spend the bulk of my time in the first and second paragraphs and just kind of take a, take a brief look at, uh, at the third for sake of time this morning. So let's dive in and take a look. Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Uh, this verse, this sentence is actually very, very important in this whole book because in many ways it's a synopsis of everything that Paul has been talking about previously in this letter. This little first part of the sentence, for freedom, Christ has set us free, has been Paul's theme throughout the entire book so far. 
And then what happens is the second part of this first sentence here, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, tells us where he's going to go now for the, the rest of the book. So we find out where he's been and where he's going. This verse is sort of like a hinge that starts to turn uh, the story a little bit. Well, if, if you've been here for uh, this, this series, you know that the theme of the book of Galatians is freedom. It's, it's the, the theme that, that Christ has set us free that Christ came to give us liberty from our greatest enemies, which are sin and, and Satan and, and death. And the Bible teaches that if, if you here today are a Christian, if, if you're a, a believer in these things, then the eternal consequences of your sin will never be held against you. God has a record of every wrong thing you've ever done or thought. But Christians, for Christians, that record is destroyed. It's taken care of. Christ has already died to pay the price of that sin. And so it's finished. It's done. And God gives you, if you're a believing person here this morning, his word of honor that in light of that, you will live in paradise with him forever And that your experience for all of eternity will only be joy and peace and hope and and satisfaction. Everything that you long for now that seems so distant and far away and impossible. The promise is that one day it will be yours and no one can take it away. And that's what freedom is. That's what it means to be free. You have everything you could ever want. You're not held back by sin and death. But what we learn in this letter that's so important is that this kind of freedom for us, this freedom from sin and death, this freedom to eternal life, is only possible if we are freed from something else first, and and that is God's law. If we are not free from what the Bible calls the law, then we are not free from sin and death either. Uh, now, I'm sure that Tom has talked quite a bit about uh, the law over these past few weeks. Uh, this is the law that was given by God through Moses to the people in the Old Testament. And what the law was, is it was the standards and requirements that God uh, taught so that people could know what God expects from them, how people can be in a right relationship with with him, what they would need to do in order to accomplish that and and make that happen. And what's so interesting about this book is that Paul says that we need to be set free from that. Now, why would he say that? Is the law something that's good or is the law something that's bad? Well, the answer to that question is that the law is something that is good. It's really good. It's perfect. It's right. It it tells us what it means to live uh, um, perfect lives in in, in light of who who God is. But, But the problem is that even though the law is perfect, for us, it's almost too perfect. And the reason is that no person can ever live up to its requirements. Human beings are all sinners, and we fall short of this standard every single day. I mean, just one part of the Ten Commandments is to not covet. Thou shalt not covet. And coveting is really, really wanting something. It's like you have to have something, and you think that if you had that thing, that your life would then be 
uh, everything that you would need and hope for. It's trying to find satisfaction in something or someone other than God. Has anybody here ever coveted before? Have you ever uh, had a friend show you their vacation photos and uh, on the outside you said, oh, that, I'm so glad you got to go there and just be on that beach for a week. That looks wonderful. And inside you're thinking, that should be me, right? (laughs) I work so hard. I deserve this more than they do if I just had time on the beach. Well, if if you've done that in some way, you've coveted. And what you've done is you've just now fallen short of that law. You, you haven't lived up to it. And so what that means is because you and I do those kinds of things all the time, and we have ever since we were born, that we've already failed at this system. We've already fallen short. And that's why in this first little verse here, Paul describes the law as being like a yoke of slavery. And, and what he means is that in it, we're, we're powerless, because we have no hope of, of meeting its demands. We can't do it. We're held down underneath it. But again, the problem is not that the law is bad. The problem is that, that we are bad. And so the, the point is this, that Paul is trying to make, is that the law, even though it's good, is not something that we want to be underneath. And if we are underneath the law, then we have, we have no chance. We can't live up to it. We are without So that is the law. But Paul describes in the book of Galatians, thankfully, that there's a different system that is in operation that's other than the law. And that system is called grace. Uh, grace, The Bible tells us that Christ came into the world so that we could be moved from this system to this one, so that we could experience not the law, but so that we could experience grace. Grace. And it's very interesting how Christ accomplished this. When Christ came into the world, he stepped into the system as completely God and completely man. He stepped into the system of the law. But unlike you and me, he actually accomplished all of its demands. He succeeded at keeping it perfectly and flawlessly. And so the Bible teaches that through Christ, his perfect, uh, a spotless record within the law, and his, his death that was sacrificial on our behalf, that through those things, that his accomplishment in keeping the law can be ours as well. It's almost as if Jesus reaches out to every one of us who sit in this room, wherever you're at, and whatever you're thinking and feeling, and, and says to you, so earnestly, and so sincerely, listen carefully to me, he says. If you will give me your life, I will give you mine. I will trade you a life for a life. I will take all of your guilt and shame, the death that that results from that, your sin, and I will make all of it mine. I will bear the repercussions for every wrong that you've ever done underneath the law. And then what I'll do is I'll trade you what you have for what I have, which is my spotless record. I did it, and I want to give you that record so that God will treat you the way that he treats me. 
so that my righteousness can be yours. My freedom from uh, sin, sinful consequences can be yours. Jesus says, if you will trust me to do this, you will be free for all of eternity and enjoy all of the, the things that I just mentioned before. And Paul writes here that it's for that freedom. It's so that we could enjoy that kind of freedom that Christ came to set us free. And since this is true, what Paul is doing with the, the Galatians is he's, he's pleading with them. He's urging them to stand firm in grace and not submit again to this yoke of slavery, which is the law. He's saying to them, stay here, stay here, don't go back there. And the reason that he's got to do it is because some of them are. Some of them are wandering. They're, they're being encouraged to wander, in fact, by some leaders that were within the church. And what they're doing really is they're beginning to trade law for grace. Now, if you remember from this series, there were a group of leaders who were a part of this church who were teaching some, some things that were really messed up, but they, they maybe sounded right at the time. They were teaching that faith in Christ, that, that Christ's exchange is important for salvation, that nobody can come to God except through the cross and through Jesus. But there, there's a little more to it than just that, they were saying. They, they taught that a person also, in addition to that, had to be circumcised. So they kind of were, were taking one part of the law and they were pulling it over here and saying, you've got to do this too. Now, it didn't have to be circumcision, but it was for the Galatians. It, it really could have been anything that they pulled over and grabbed and, and moved over here. Anything that was kind of a human effort that would add to those things that, that Jesus had done. It, it could have been a custom of some kind. It could have been a tradition of some kind. It, it could have been a good work of some kind, even not coveting, right? It's, it, it, it's, it's Jesus plus you can't covet. But they had chosen circumcision, And what we're going to see here is that the fact that they would do this is completely incomprehensible to the Apostle Paul. And he's really fired up in this passage. He's he's stirred up with concern for this church that's filled with people that he loves. He's stirred up with kind of a righteous indignation towards those who were were, uh, trying to move them to a place that they shouldn't be. And he's just pleading with them and saying, you have freedom. You have grace. Now, enjoy it. Stay in it. Remain in it. And whatever you do, do not give it up. And so he moves into kind of the heart of what we're looking at this morning in this second section. And as I said to you, I want to spend most of my time in this section because in it he makes a very, very important point. Them, And it's a point that we might not get right away. And even if we do get it, we might not see how it could possibly be important to us. But what I want to attempt uh, to do this morning is to show you that, that, that what he's talking about here is really critical, not just to these guys in some far away place and time in history. It's really very important to us as well. So what I want to do is read it again, explain it, and then see if we can apply it uh, to ourselves this morning. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, 
Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. What's Paul getting at here? Well, the, the big idea, the big thing he's trying to say to them is this. Is he saying, listen, Galatians, church, he's saying, if you add circumcision to grace, he says, then Christ won't do you a lick of good. If you try to add this to this, then the cross is meaningless to you. Now, why is that? Well, what he's saying is that if they accept one part of the law, like circumcision, then, underline this in, in your mind, then they are obligated to all of it. Okay, he's saying if they accept some of the law, then they are bound, they are compelled, they are constrained to be underneath all of it. And the reason he's going to kind of describe here is that the law is a, is a unit. The law all goes together. It's a, it's a system. You can't take pieces out and you can't put pieces in. Now, if uh, an immigrant were to decide that they wanted to come to the United States and, and become a citizen, there's a process that they go to. And the final part of that process is that they have to take an, an oath and uh, within that oath, there's many different things that they, that they promise to do. They swear to renounce their legion to other foreign nations. Uh, they swear that they will protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. They promise that they will serve in the armed forces if they're ever called upon. Now, if an immigrant were to get to that point where they're about to take the oath, and then they, they said to whoever was uh, giving the oath, you know what? I've decided I don't want to take the whole oath, but I do want to take some parts of it, okay? So I will do the first two, but I'd rather not serve in the armed forces if I'm called upon. Well, what would, what would they be told? Have a nice trip, right? Uh, have a great flight back to your country. You cannot be a U.S. citizen. And, and part of the reason why they would say that is, is because that oath, that citizenship is a package, It all goes together. You either agree to all of it or you don't. It's a bundle. You don't get to choose bits and pieces. And Paul's point here is that the law is the same way. His point is that if the Galatians put themselves under just a part of the law, believing that circumcision is a requirement for salvation, they're actually putting themselves under all of the law because it's a package too. And so he says, if you obligate yourself to one thing over here, then actually you're obligating yourself to everything. You're you're either all in or you're all out. He says, there's no middle ground. You cannot mix grace and law. Now, why is this so important to us? Well, our uh, mission as a church, at least a a large part of it, is to help people who are far from God 
to find God. Help people who are far from God find God. We hope that there are people here every week who are far from God, and we hope to play our part in teaching things that, that might uh, help them to, to find him. I, uh, um, a, f- a few months ago, um, drove into my, to the parking lot, and uh, it, was, it was just after they had torn down all the trees that used to be over here. This used to be a beautiful forest, if you're just new to us in the, in the last few weeks. And I, my office looks out into that forest, and I've seen foxes in, in, in that forest at some time. It's, it's really pretty neat. And I drove in, and that day it was like a bomb went off. You know, all of a sudden the trees were gone, and now, as Mary Kay said, it's just a a dirt field over there. I have no idea where that fox went, if he's anywhere, at, you know, at all. And I remember feeling at first kind of depressed, like you lost this beautiful forest. Well, what they're doing over there is they're putting in apartments. You, you probably already know that. Um, apartments that are designed, I think, especially for senior citizens. And um, it's going to be a great big complex that's going to be put over there. Well, if our mission is to help people who are far from God to find God, then that's so much better for us than trees, isn't it? Because that means we're going to get a chance to meet some people who are over there who might not know anything about what the, what the Bible teaches. They might be very far from God and, and either wondering how to get back or, or thinking that that is an impossibility. But if you were to take, maybe let's just, just imagine a person in your mind, a random person who ends up in those apartments over there and and, and they had no church background or anything like that. And you said to them, well, how, how do you think a person who's far from God can, can find him? And, and you said to him, how does a person have a right relationship with God? How can a person be assured that, that they will live in heaven for eternity? How do you think they might answer? Well, I would guess just from experience that, that, that they, they would say something like, well, you know, I, I think by being a good person, I, I think a, a person who really works hard at being a good husband or wife or, or parent, an honest employee, all of those things. God sees that. He recognizes that, and, 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 and that's uh, something that he approves of, and they, they get into relationship with him that way. Or, or they might say by being a church-going person or reading the Bible or whatever. I, I mean, you could, you could put just about anything into those, those themes. But what that person is really saying is very, very sad in many ways, and in every way, according to what the scriptures teach. Because what they're saying is that that salvation is up to me. It's what I do. There's these standards that God has for me, and, and, and if I do what he wants and expects, then I'm in, and if not, then I'm out. But the problem with that is that that person is believing the law, right? That person is under the law. That's what the law said. If you can do what God wants, then you got it. If you can't, then you don't. And what Paul is saying here is that's like living under slavery because nobody can ever do the things that God wants and expects. And so that person is stuck in a system that gives them no hope. You know, salvation by law is what so many people think that Christianity is. And it's no wonder that so many people reject it. I would reject it too. What, what pressure, what stress. And, and that's why we've got to be so clear in, in when we speak to people about our faith that, 
that we are not righteous people who have somehow done enough to measure up to God. That we are sinners who could never do that. We have no hope of ever being what God would want and expect from us. But but we are sinners who are saved by God's grace alone. That's, That's it. We're not saved by our own good works. We are saved through Christ alone. Most people think Christians are saved by the law. But what's really important to see here in in this passage is that even though all of that is important for the average person that we run into on the street who's not a, a part of a church, Paul's focus here in this passage is not to the people who are outside of the church. His focus is for those who are in the church. So what I want to ask you this morning, uh, as a person who may be coming to our church for many years, or or maybe you're a little bit newer, but you are inside the church, is I want to ask you that same question this morning that we just asked to the random person who was out there. How would you answer it if somebody said to you, how can a person who is far from God find him, be near him, be right with him, have friendship with him, be assured of eternal life with him. How can a per- what, what would a person say if, if they stood in heaven, they, they died, they stood in heaven, and they were standing in front of the gates, if, if there are those things there, and, and God said, why should I let you in? Take a minute and, and, and answer briefly in your, in your mind, what would you say? What would you tell God if he said, why should I let you in? I hope that as you think through that a little bit, I know I didn't give you much time, but I hope that there was one word that came immediately to mind for you. And that word is a name, Jesus. I hope that was the first thing that came to mind for you. There might be other words that would come to mind for you too. Grace might be one. Mercy. Gift sacrifice, cross, blood, somebody just said. What I want to note is that that all of those things are about God, right? All of those things are things that that God uh, does. Now, if this was not our church, if this was the church in Galatia way back then, and I asked them that same question, and they sort of said what what words they, they were thinking, those same words would have come up for them, right? You'd have people saying, yes, grace. Yes, Jesus, yes, mercy, kindness. But what Paul was saying was that for some of them, another word would have come up too, a very different word. And the word that would would come up was circumcision. And circumcision is a very different word because now all of a sudden, rather than talking about the things that God does for me, it's a word that reflects something that I do for God. You see, the the Galatians were thinking, listen, God's grace, his gift, his sacrifice in Jesus gets me almost all the way. All I have to do is just play my one little part and get circumcised. And what they were doing is they were tacking something on that didn't belong. And what that does is, is it begs the question of us this morning, when you thought of your answer, 
Was there anything that you tacked on to? Did you tack on anything as well? Did you add something to those words or that thinking that wasn't God's work, but it was your work? Was there some thought in your mind that God does most of it, but there's something that you've got to do to get yourself over the hump? And that Jesus does 50% of the work and I do 50%. Or Jesus does his 80% of the work and I do my 20. Or even Jesus does my 99% of the work for me and I just have this 1% that's up to me because it can't really be free. It can't really be totally free. That's too good to be true. There's got to be something I've got to do. I want to say to you that if, if this is you, if, if you've tacked something on, then what Paul is saying here is really, really staggering. It's, it's sobering. It's, it's worthy of a lot of introspection and thought and consideration. Because what he's saying here is he's saying that, that the person who's on the street who said, uh, you know, it's all up to me, it's 100% me over here. And the person who might be in the church this morning who says, you know what, God does most of it. He does 99% of it. It's just up to me to get this 1%. What Paul is saying is that those two people are in exactly the same position. He says they are both trapped underneath the law. See, follow the logic. Paul says here, if you give yourself even 1% of the responsibility of your own salvation, he says, then what you've actually done is you've taken on 100% of it. He says, you are either under every single requirement of the package that is the law, or he says, you are completely free and clear of it. What Paul is saying to them is that Christ either takes on everything for you, or he takes on nothing. Because God's grace over here is a package too. He says Jesus takes 100% of our sin and he gives us in return 100% of Christ's righteousness, nothing less. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. He said, the only thing we contribute to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. And I, I hope that each of you who are here this morning either already is or soon will be set free by that. You do not have to live under the law. Jesus has already done everything for us. Salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. We don't have to earn the law. Jesus already earned that for us. So I hope that it does, or I hope that that, that someday that will bring great freedom to you. The law is like being a slave. Grace is like being free. So what Paul says to the Galatians is he says, listen, if you choose to take on circumcision, see if this makes sense to you, he, he says, Christ is of no value to you. You've chosen to try to do the thing that only he can do, and therefore the cross becomes meaningless because you've chosen to try to make your own way. 
And therefore, he says these horrible words in verse verse 4. He says, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. What a terrible thing to have happen in that church. And we pray it would never happen in ours. Then he begins to give them some encouragement. He reminds them in in verse 5 again that, Christians are not in the business of making themselves righteous. This is something that is only accomplished through Christ, and we eagerly await God achieving this for us. He goes ahead of us, and he makes a way for us. And then finally, he answers just a practical question that they might have. What about circumcision then? Does does circumcision have any value to them? And and, and Paul says in in verse 6, well, circumcision is really kind of neutral, right? You can choose to do it or not. It's not going to help you spiritually, but it's not going to hurt you either. Uh, Being circumcised doesn't gain for you brownie points with God, but it, it doesn't lessen your view before him either. Now, we might have the same question about moral living and and, and good works, right? We might ask the question, well, should I still not covet anymore? And how do works and and, um, good, pure living fit into this? Well, Paul is going to talk about that just next, and and we're going to get to that uh, next week. You'll you'll see that there's a, a big change in the book from next week forward where he moves away from trying to convince us that we're free to try to tell us what that freedom looks like. And if you're going to live your daily life over here, how, how that looks and how that operates and, and what that's like. Well, that's the second section. The third section finally is mostly a warning to these people who have been uh, misleading the Galatians. Verse 7, he says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Okay, again, these are very strong words, some of Paul's strongest probably in all of his writing. Uh, For the sake of time, I'm just going to summarize this part very briefly, but you notice it right away. Paul is filled with, on one hand, this fatherly sense of love and concern for the people of the church who he feels like are, are wandering towards a terrible place. And he's also filled with a kind of a righteous rage at those false teachers who are causing this and, and encouraging them in this. And so he says to them, listen, you are running so well, right? You, see, you seem to be you know, living this in, in so many different ways, understanding that your salvation is by grace alone. But, but who tripped you up? He says this thinking is spreading like gangrene, and it, and it certainly is not something that comes from God. And yet, even here, Paul is confident that these people will come to their senses. You you can see here that he believes the best for them. But he's also confident that those false teachers are going to get what they deserve, too. And and there's really three uh, problems that he's got with them that come out here. He's upset that they've led the church astray. He's upset that they've persecuted him and, and spoken badly of him. But most of all, he's 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 upset with them because what they've done is they've diminished the cross. 
They've taken away from the work and the sacrifice of Christ. And so with such a sharp wit and a burning kind of a holy outrage that you can really feel and sense, particularly in that last verse, Paul says, I wish that those who are telling you to be circumcised would go all the way on themselves and emasculate themselves. Um, now, what's he getting at there? Well, it's, it's, it's probably has to do with the fact that under the Old Testament, a person could not be a leader if they were emasculated. If that had happened with a person, they would need to step down from their position. And so partly Paul could, could be saying, listen, if they emasculate themselves, then they cannot be a leader within your church, and that's a great way to get rid of them. So in some ways, what he's saying in a, in a kind of witty, almost sarcastic, sharp way is you've got to get rid of these people. And if it took doing that, that would be worth it. And so what you see is this is a very serious issue to Paul, and it should be serious to us. Well, let me just conclude with, a, with an illustration that I, that I read uh, this week. It's an illustration of a man who uh, owned a baseball that was owned by uh, Babe Ruth. Uh, I'm sorry, that was autographed by Babe Ruth. Uh, the man has had it most of his life, and he keeps it in a safe that's in his basement. And one day... Uh, he, his cash starts to get a little low, and he doesn't want to do it, but he decides that he's got to sell this baseball. And so he goes down to the safe, but when he pulls it out, he's kind of disappointed because he, he discovers that the ink on the signature has started to fade a bit. And you can still read, and you know, it says Babe Ruth, but it's just a little harder to see than it was a few years ago. So he has an idea. He, he goes out to the store, and he buys a really, really expensive precise pen, and he buys a a really good magnifying glass, and he goes back, and he spends hours doing this, just trying to touch up the signature a little bit, just to try to darken it so that it can be seen a, a a little better to whoever it is would purchase this. But as you know, in, in spite of all of his efforts, all that he ends up doing is, is taking something that's very rare and valuable and turning it into something that is worthless, right? What Paul says here is, don't do that with God's grace. Don't do that with God's grace. Don't try to add something of your own good works to the grace of God. Because if you do, then even in trying to reach it, you end up falling far, far from it. Let's pray. Father, I I know that this passage and even thinking about the law is difficult for us to understand and and grasp. I, I think we all struggle when we read these passages sometimes to understand exactly what it is that we are to take away from it. Father, we thank you that in every case throughout the entire Bible, consistently on every page and in every paragraph, you point us not towards anything but grace. We thank you that you invite us to be free from our failure, free from our sin, free from struggling to earn a good reputation with you, 
we thank you that you sent Jesus so that that's not necessary for us. And we pray that this church would be a place where not only do we really understand our freedom and live in it and enjoy it and not wander away from it, we pray that we would be a place that would help others do that too. There is nothing like being set free from all of our sin for all of eternity. We thank you that Jesus came, that just that could be true. Help us to know that. Open up our minds and hearts so that we can understand that. And and help us to give you all thanks and all gratitude all of our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank you.